The Old Testament reading this evening comes from the book of Genesis, the 18th chapter, beginning at the first verse. And the Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and bowed himself to the earth, and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree, while I bring a morsel of bread, that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah, and said, Quick, three seahs of fine flour, knead it, and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared, and set it before them, and he sat by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. O Lord, have mercy on us. The epistle reading comes from Paul's letter to the church in Rome, the fourth chapter. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses 
and raised for our justification. O Lord, have mercy on us. The Holy Gospel comes to us according to St. Luke, the first chapter. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. O Lord, have mercy on us. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. This is the promise that God makes to Abraham in our reading tonight, and what a joyous promise it was. Advent is a season of promise. It's a time of anticipation, a time of remembering promises made long ago and waiting to celebrate their fulfillment. This Advent, as we look back at the genealogy of Jesus Christ, we recognize how the promise of his birth was repeated to each and every name in that genealogy, how it was shared with every single generation throughout the history of the world. We see how God was faithful to his promise to every single generation leading up to the birth of Jesus Christ. And we rejoice in the fulfillment of of that promise. But it's more than just ancient history. Advent is also a time of renewing our faith in the promises that God has made directly to us. Now, what makes you believe a promise? What gives you hope to cling to a promise? Is it the promise itself, or is it the one who promises it? You know, you can hear the same promise from two different people and have two very different reactions. Two friends both promise to come over and help you move furniture and do some painting at your house. To one of them, you give a sincere and heartfelt thanks, knowing that they are going to show up on time, ready to work, and make your life so much easier. To the other, you give a, sure, that'd be great, mentally rolling your eyes and preparing yourself for the inevitable excuse they'll come up with the day before as to why they just can't make it. Both then said the same thing. Both gave the exact same promise, but one you trusted and one you didn't. Why? Because you know your friends. You know that one is true to their word and one not so much. You've heard their promises before, you've seen how well they fulfill them, and you respond accordingly to future promises. Our faith in a promise, it doesn't depend on the promise itself, but on the one who makes the promise. In our Old Testament reading tonight, this is not the first time that Abraham is hearing the promise that he will be a father. 
About 25 years earlier, back when he was a young, strapping 75-year-old, God had come to Abraham, Abram at that time, and had given him a promise. He told Abram to leave behind his life, his family, his country, and go to a land that God would show him. And Abram, even though he was old and childless, would be the father of a great nation. So Abram went. And for 25 years, he trusted God's promise, even without still having children. Yes, he wavered at times. He tried to come up with his own way of fulfilling God's promise by having a child with his wife's servant. He worried that maybe he had misunderstood, that he had done something wrong. But still, He trusted in God's promise, even when it seemed impossible. Was that because of how great of a promise it was? Was it because of what was promised to him and how amazing it sounded? Well, no, of course not. I mean, every single election cycle, we hear all sorts of great promises that seem impossible, and for the most part, they are. So we don't put a whole lot of stock in them. But Abraham continued to believe Not because of what was promised, but because of who had promised it. And finally, when it seemed absolutely impossible, when he was, as Paul puts it in Romans, as good as dead, God fulfilled his promise and granted Abraham a son. Because, like God asked Abraham, is anything too hard for the Lord? God kept his promise, even when it seemed impossible, and he delivered to Abraham and Sarah their miraculous son, Isaac. And through that son came the fulfillment of another, even more impossible promise, the promised Savior of the world. From generation to generation, that promise had been repeated. For more than 1,500 years after the impossible birth of Isaac, God's faithful people clung to the promise that the Messiah would indeed come to them. Yes, they wavered. Yes, some of them gave up. Yes, some of them tried to come up with their own way to fulfill God's promise and said, well, maybe we are the promise, or our country is the promise, or the temple's the promise, or something else. But those who believed in God By the power of the Holy Spirit, they held fast, sincerely trusting that God would send the Savior into the world, not because of what was promised, but because of who had promised it. And God, as always, is faithful, and he kept his word by sending his word, the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ. It seemed impossible that Jesus would take on human flesh. It was physically impossible that a virgin would give birth to a son. It was utterly impossible that God would look on his sinful creation in mercy instead of wrath, set aside his glory and majesty, and come to us in humility to save us from our sins. It was all impossible. But with God, nothing is impossible which is why we Christians celebrate each and every day of our lives. 
Because God has made us a promise as well. And even though it is just as impossible as the promise of the Messiah, just as impossible that old, old Abraham would have a son, we believe that promise. Not because of what the promise is, but because of who made the promise. God has promised us, and God is faithful. God has promised us that through that tiny baby, Jesus Christ, you, a sinner, will be made his child and heir of his kingdom in heaven. And if you want to talk about impossible promises, it doesn't get any impossibler than that. Heaven is perfect. It is holy. It is a sinless paradise. There is no sin, no transgression, no disobedience. There is no temptation, no desire to disobey. Sin is nowhere to be seen, not even remembered. And so for us wretches, who are by nature sinful and unclean, we have no hope of being there. We have no hope of getting in. We have no hope of ever laying eyes on such perfection. Because sin isn't just something that we do from time to time, something that we can take care of if we really stick it to it. No, sin is who we are. We are corrupted to the core with no hope of redeeming ourselves. We are greedy, gluttonous, lustful swine. We are petty, bitter gossips. We are hateful, selfish beasts who live only for our own personal comfort and desires. We are the embodiment of sin, despising and disobeying God with our every breath. We abuse his good gifts. We belittle his name and his word. We reject his gracious laws, this outdated wet blanket that we decided isn't useful anymore. We are sinners who are rotten to the core. And as such, we don't deserve anything but God's eternal wrath and condemnation. There is no way at all that we can shape up our lives well enough to be deserving of heaven. It's absolutely impossible. But is anything too hard for the Lord? So when he promises us that we will be cleansed, when he promises that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ are sufficient to take away our sin, We believe, not because of what is promised, but because of who has promised it. He has kept every one of his promises, no matter how impossible it might have seemed. He has never once failed to keep his word. He has always provided for us. He has always sustained us, always given us everything that he promised he would. Never once has he forgotten Never once has he made a lame excuse. Never once has he even dropped his end of a promise because we so utterly failed on our end. He is God, and he is faithful and steadfast. And so his promise is as sure and certain in your life as it was through every single name in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. It was impossible for the Virgin Mary to give birth. But she did, because God had promised it. It was impossible for Abraham in his old age to have a son. But he did, 
because God had promised it. And the same God who did the impossible with Abraham, with Mary, with Shealtiel, with all his people throughout all history, he is the one keeping his promises and doing the impossible with us. He has cleansed us of our sin. He guards, guides, and protects our lives even when we seem determined to mess it up as much as possible. He molds and shapes us and leads us to live by his word even when the world tells us that it is ridiculous to do so. And he promises that he will come again to us to take us sinners to be with him in heaven. He promises that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ was sufficient to take away the guilt of all of your sin. He promises that just as Jesus Christ rose from the grave, we too shall rise. He promises that even now, as Jesus is ascended into heaven, he intercedes for us, proclaiming us innocent in the eyes of God, even as we continue to sin. We didn't earn any of these things. We realize that every single one of them is an undeserved gift. We know just how impossible all of this truly is. And yet, we trust in his promises wholeheartedly. Because we've seen him do the impossible. In the Bible and in our own lives. We've seen how he has fulfilled every one of his promises, even when they simply cannot be. And so even as we celebrate the fulfillment of his promises in the past, we eagerly anticipate the fulfillment of more. The promise to Abraham that he would have a son at such an old age seemed impossible. But since it was God's promise, it happened. The promise of a Savior was repeated for thousands of years, and it seemed impossible. But since it was God's promise, it happened. And in our own lives, the promise of our salvation seems impossible because of the depth of our sin. And yet, because it is God's work, not ours, because it is God himself who made the promise, it happens. And we believe it. Our hope lies not in how great the promise is, but in how great the one who made the promise is. We know that he is faithful. We know that he is steadfast. We know that nothing is too hard for the Lord, not even the salvation of a poor, miserable sinner like me. And so we trust in the promise and we rejoice, knowing that that promise is fulfilled. For in the cross of Jesus Christ, in his empty tomb, you are forgiven of every one of your sins, and eternal life in heaven is yours. To God alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen.